in. Find our seats. It's great to see everybody here. It looks like not everybody left town for spring break. Great to have Julie and Lucian's family here with us. Also, the Flins are here. Dave and Liz are here. Make sure you get a hug. Get to hug Dave and Liz, working with perspectives. Thank you, everyone, for being here. One of my seminary classmates was a tough-looking fireplug of a Hawaiian guy named Ryan He. And as we were going through seminary and we were discussing theological terms, it was always wonderful because he brought this lens of Hawaiian culture with him to view things through, and he expressed his deep devotion and love for Jesus in terms that were totally unfamiliar for me. But I learned so much, and one of the things that he taught about was forgiveness. And friends, once again, we this week have seen what hatred, vengeful ideology and ideas can result in, what a life, an imagination that does not embrace forgiveness. We've seen what that results in. Peaceful people being gummed down while praying. And it's not enough to wring our hands and to feel sorry. We must respond in the exact opposite spirit. We must act in ways that demonstrate humility, compassion, and love. But our hearts have to be right if we hope to act in these ways. And that's why as I was meditating on this and reading the news and thinking back, I thought about the practice that Ryan taught me, and it's, it's not exclusive to him, but it's called Ho'oponopono, which in the Hawaiian culture is to make double right. And it is a way of restoring relationship, it is a way of expressing forgiveness that I've found incredibly helpful. So what I'd like us all to do today in our, as our call to worship is to stand up. And we're going to walk through the very simple four steps of Ho'oponopono. And the first thing we do in this process is you say you're sorry. And that doesn't sound difficult with it. But it, saying, admitting that we're sorry is a difficult thing for us. It takes humility. It takes an admonition that we're not perfect. It takes an admonition that we've hurt or destroyed something that we should have nurtured. And as we say we're sorry, we have to be specific for that thing. But we're just going to start today. As we think through our life, and, and we're saying this in general terms, but I trust that the Holy Spirit is going to bring things to our mind. And here in this place, we practice this so that we carry it out from here. We take it into those relationships. We take it into those spaces where we need to say this more personally. But together as Grace Church this morning, we say, I'm sorry. The next thing you do is you say, forgive me. Not in a generalized sense, but again, the actual sense, and you name the thing which you need to be forgiven of, which is we say this together now, 
forgive me. I pray this for us. God, we have not loved you with our whole heart, mind, and strength. We have not loved our neighbor as ourself. We have been deaf to your call to serve. We have grieved your Holy Spirit. We confess our past unfaithfulness, the pride, hypocrisy, and impatience of our lives. We confess our self-indulgent appetites and ways. We confess our intemperate love of worldly goods and comforts. We confess our negligence in prayer and worship, our failure to commend the faith that is in us, our blindness to human needs and suffering, our prejudice and contempt towards those who differ from us. God, forgive us. Restore us, Abba. Accomplish in us the works of your salvation. Accept our repentance, O Lord. But it doesn't end there. Because as Christians, we believe that God hears, that God sees, that God is with us. And so as part of the restoration process, we next say together, thank you. Thank you. Because as hard as it is to admit our failure, as hard as it is to admit our sin, sometimes it's even harder to accept forgiveness, to believe that our prayer has been heard and accepted, that God wants to forgive us more than we want to be even forgiven. And so saying thank you, expressing gratitude, moves our lips to get our hearts to follow in accepting. We say thank you. And then finally, we say, I love you. Because ultimately, this is not about some erasing of some judgmental ledger. This is about a love relationship. The love of God towards us and our love towards God is what motivates this. Not just so that, hey, we're good and we can go our separate ways. No, but hey, we're good so we can come together. So we start with, I'm sorry. We ask for forgiveness. We give thanks for that forgiveness. And then we express the love that follows. This week, this is outlined in the learning guide this week, so you... you if you want to follow it, if you want to practice it, but I have found personally that this is, a, this is a strong way of restoring relationships and refocusing that. So thank you. You may be seated. Welcome everyone. My name is John Ray. I'm one of the elders here. I head the teaching team or facilitate the teaching team. I'm really glad to see everybody this morning, whether you're listening on podcast or here, whether you're here normally or this is the first time, we are really glad you're here. So anybody else following the uh, college admission scandal? Just me? <laughs> yeah, like, come on. It is, uh, it is intriguing, right, with that. And I love watching people's reactions. I love watching people's reactions, how, how everybody's weighing in, and depending on your, your point of view or what you are, you know, how you 
how you feel about these things, but, but what everybody is saying is it's not fair, right? I mean, that's the crux of it, is that it's not fair to, to lie, to cheat, to pay. Is, it offends our sense of fairness on so many levels, and we're captivated by this story. We love, especially in America, it's offensive because we love the story of the underdog. We love the story of the one who, through grit, determination, extra effort, makes it to the top. And for those people that we see as worthy to be pushed aside by someone who comes in who's unworthy, I mean, we just want to go on the warpath. There's just something in us that raises up. I mean, we, we really, that offends us. And we disdain, we disdain those who use their privilege to get ahead in unfair ways. But here's the thing, if we disdain the privileged for getting ahead, we despise the person who takes without earning. Like we despise the person who it seems like all they want is a handout and all they want is to be given things and they don't want to work. Our society is full of just utter disgust at the thought of that. As a matter of fact, if you could, if you could define an American gospel, the belief that we really all believe in as a culture is it is work hard, keep your nose clean, do what's right, and you'll be rewarded. And whether you use your privilege to jump ahead of the line or whether you don't do anything and just expect it to be given to you, those are out of bounds. Those offend us. We'll pass laws. We'll make memes. We'll do whatever it takes to show our offense at that. And in truth, we think of fairness much more in terms of O. Henry or Horatio Alger than we do in terms of the gospel. Because let me tell you, if the college admission scandal offends you, and if the thought of someone on welfare not working and getting a handout disgusts you, you're going to have a big problem with the text today. Just going to give you a warning. Get ready to make sure your blood pressure medication's been taken because you're going to have a problem with the text. Well, let's read it. We're looking at Matthew 20 this morning, verses 1 through 16. It says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers in his vineyard. And after agreeing with the workers for the standard wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When it was about nine o'clock in the morning, he went out again and saw others standing in the marketplace without work. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too, and I will give you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again at noon and three o'clock that afternoon. He did the same thing. And about five o'clock that afternoon, he went out and found others standing around and said to them, why are you standing here all day without work? And they said, because no one hired us. He said to them, you go and work in the vineyard too. 
When it was evening, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the workers. Give the pay starting with the last hired until the first. When those who hired, when those hired about five o'clock came, each received a full day's pay. And when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each one received the standard wage. When they received it, they began to complain against the landowner, saying, these fellows worked one hour, and you have made them equal to us who bore the hardship and burning heat of the day. And the landowner replied to one of them, friend, I am not treating you unfairly. Didn't you agree to work with me for the standard wage? Take what is yours and go. I want to give the last man the same as I gave to you. Am I not permitted to do what I want with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first last. standing around the marketplace, idling away. Probably saw the landowner came up. You know, in our imagination, right, we see these guys as maybe hiding towards the back, hoping they wouldn't get hired. Right? It offends us how we, what we read into this story. And what we read into the story actually says a lot more about us than it does about the text. Because the text gives no indication that they were lazy, The text gives no indication that they didn't want to work. But we read that into that. Because we want it to be fair. We side with the ones who work during the heat of the day, all through the day, feeling like they were unjustly treated. But what we see here is that the kingdom, this kingdom that is talked about, has a king. And that king is unlike any other king the world has ever seen. We see that God gives grace abundantly, universally, and endlessly. That the grace we receive isn't in any way, shape, or form earned. And because of this, there is zero room for boasting, throwing shade, posturing, ranking, or crying foul. Now, in this context, we need to be quick to see that in the context that Jesus was saying this, as with most of his teachings, he was setting up for the kingdom of God to include the Gentiles. When we look at who were the first and who were the ones that showed up at the last, most commentaries will tell you that that the hearers, Jesus was preparing them that, hey, yes, Israel, you've been here all day. The people of Israel had been there since the beginning. They had gone all through. And now the Gentiles were showing up at the last hour, but they were going to be made equals. So this integration of the Gentiles in with the Jewish believers that this parable directly addresses that. But even though that may have been the primary aim, there's still, and we're beyond that because all of us are Gentile in heritage. That's, that's amen for us. That's good for us. We have also adopted an attitude much like those who are offended. So think about the start of the parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner. This is about the kingdom and the king. What are we to learn? 
We need to ask, are God's ways really like this? Are they, do we really believe God's ways are like this? Is this kind of maddening equality, regardless of, one, of what one has contributed to God's kingdom, why is it so offensive to our ears? And is it really part of the new reality that God brings? For Matthew's Jesus, the answer is an emphatic yes. And God's generosity is an affront to those who think about God's kingdom, his benevolent rule in categories of status, privilege, and what we have earned. If this is offensive to us, we need to check our privilege. This framework is how we make sense of the end of the parable. When it starts with the kingdom of God is like this, and ends with the last shall be first, the first shall be last. This is the framework. The landowner here says, friend, I do you no wrong. Am I doing you wrong by being generous? The specific language rendered here as wrong is unjust or unfair. Am I treating you unfairly? The answer is no. The landowner provides what he said he was going to provide to the person who did what they said they were going to do. There's no unfairness here towards that person. The landowner rejects the charge of unjustness, that there is any injustice on his part. Then he claims that it is his right to use his own resources in whatever way he wishes. He zings them at the end with, or are you envious that I am generous? Which cuts the reader and cuts us and cuts me to the core. It cuts me to the core. Because underneath all the the ways that I try to be fair or I, or I try to give grace, all, underneath all the ways that I try to let the gospel capture my imagination, I still want to earn it. I still want it to be about my effort. I still want it, I still want it to be that I didn't, I didn't need grace. I want to be the guy that shows up first, works hard, maybe works a little extra hard, recognized for my competency, my strength, my value, what I can bring to it, my value add to the process. Man, I want, I want that to be seen. I want that to be recognized. And when I see someone else who I judge as not working as hard, not as with it. And they get the same? They get the same thing? Wait, 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 hold on. Back the bus up. That's not fair. That's not right. Even though I have been given much more than I could ever earn, I've been given, I've been given what has been promised to me. I am offended that someone else gets the same thing when I deem they haven't worked as hard. 
Maybe they don't believe the same way that I do. They don't, they don't adhere to the same concepts that I do. They don't treat as seriously the things that I think need to be treated serious. I can get my tail twisted really quick with that. Every day. And yet, here we have this. You see, the offense of the story centers on God's generosity and grace that is given to all of us equally. Matthew might just add, if this is just, if this is unjust in comparison with how justice is usually understood, how our culture understands working hard, earning your way, if this is offensive to that, Matthew would just say, tough. Deal with it. This is the way the kingdom works. God's generosity sits at the center of a kingdom reorienting of values. Grace reigns. Earning, boasting, competing, self-righteousness is all exposed and rejected. James writes later, mercy triumphs over judgment. God's deep generosity towards others can actually trip us up when we think about the kingdom in terms of limited amounts of grace being distributed based on deservedness. Dr. Janelle Ajayan writes this, in this season of Lent, we need to start here by meditating on the absurdity of God's care and grace for us. She goes on to say, I think so often of myself as special, deserving. To, hum- to comprehend God's love for me, I must remind myself daily that my life is unbelievably brief. That in God's care is vastly immense. My concerns and troubles are not worth mentioning even compared to the creatures who are as finite as I am. And yet, the God who spoke a billion stars into being loves me. He loves us. He has been generous to us. He listens to us. Gave his life for us. We have all indeed received far more than we have ever earned, ever can earn. And we have been forgiven of a tremendous amount of what we actually deserve. Thank God we don't get what we deserve. Thank God we do not get what we have truly earned. All of us are debtors to grace. And the difference between that debt, as viewed from God's perspective, is negligible. Oh, we may think, well, at least I haven't demanded grace in that amount compared to someone else. From God's point of view, there is zero difference. And that's what we get here in this parable. 
is God's view of grace. I'm going to ask Alex and Jeff to come back up as we transition now to a time of taking communion, of praying, of offering. And I want you to think about this table today in this way. Have you labored long? Have you been dedicated as we did today? You were, you were a baby in the church. There's never been a time you haven't loved Jesus. You've gone to worship, you've served, you've given, you've kept your nose clean, you've done everything right. You're welcome to this table. This table is for you. Did you just show up today? Your whole life, you've, you've never even heard of Jesus. You've never done a single good thing. And yet you wandered in this place today. This table is set for you as well. This table represents the kingdom in that way. doesn't matter. You haven't earned it. You haven't earned it because you've been good, because you've served, because you've showed up. But you're welcome. And if you haven't done everything, if you've hated God, if you've ignored God until this very minute, but now you want some of the table, it's here for you. The same amount, the same way. This table is set not by us, but by the king, by the landowner. It is his to give, and he gives it freely for all of us. Likewise, we take up an offering now because we all know that none of us can do this alone. No matter how much we have, we still need more. None of us here is without need, and none of us here is without something to give. We share because we have all received grace. So we share with one another. And then we pray and we reflect. Y'all, listen, this message is so contrary to the message of the world that you're going to hear as soon as you walk out that door. Stands in direct opposition to everything that you're going to encounter during the week. If you think you're going to get it by just showing up for a short Sunday sermon, it's not going to happen. But the seeds that have been planted today, maybe that brief break Nurture that. Cover it with good soil. Nurture it through the week as you do your devotions, as you meet with your grace group, as you discuss it, as you meditate on it. Let it bear fruit in your life. And thank you for being here this morning.